You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme with John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp the programme to 0862 103 103. And looking at all of the papers today, I think the majority of them have front page stories linked to that awful tragedy that we spoke. We started the programme with yesterday morning, the the tragedy in uh, Lixnaw and lots of the papers today now with photographs of the victims and Gardaí investigating this double what now appears to be a double murder suicide and that it's rocked a small North Kerry uh, community with the Gardaí and certainly lots of local people saying that there is no obvious motive for these killings. Gardaí say they're keeping an open mind as to why Massey O'Sullivan, age 63, shot his partner Eileen, who was 56, and uh, their son, Jamie, who was 24, and of course it all unfolded at the family home in Lichtenau on sometime on Tuesday. It's hard to know when exactly the deaths occurred because it seems both Eileen and Jamie uh, were both found in their beds uh, when they were found dead. And of course a legally held firearm was found by uh, Massey O'Sullivan's side. And of course that's led to people talking about firearms and firearms regulations and I see that ADVIC who are the organisation which advocate on behalf of victims of homicide, they're calling for a tightening of firearms regulation in light of the latest uh, tragedy and lots of the papers are talking with local people and people who are close to the family and God, you can't help but think of the family relatives that are left behind and neighbours and friends and you know this sense of numbness people are talking about and the unreality about it all and the utter disbelief that it could happen in their small little local rural community and they are a community who just are expressing absolute shock and sadness so we think of all of the people in Lichnaw who've been affected by these these deaths that happened uh, this week and of course a number of the papers also are tying it in with saying that this isn't the first such uh, tragedy and it is is the third murder suicide in Munster in the past 12 months and that's kind of hard in itself uh, to accept and other, other, many of the papers are picking up on some of the other tragedies we had only in February of this year what happened with the Hennessy family in Mitchellstown and then of course it was 
we're coming up to the first anniversary of the tragedy with the O'Sullivan family in Kanturk. That happened on the 26th of October in uh, 2020. Uh, then there was also in Cavan, in Bally James Duff in Cavan in 2016, the Haw family. And of course, uh, the Butler family have been remembered and the two little girls whose lives were lost in uh, 2010. And then, of course, in Charleville, uh, an anniversary that's just gone. It's seven years ago now that the O'Driscoll family faced a similar tragedy in Charleville. So it's the, they're not the first of these awful tragedies and it's just it's families trying to pick up the pieces and carry on where life will never be the same for any of those uh, families. So may they all rest in peace and as I say we, we think very much of the people of uh, Lichnaw and that whole community who've been affected by this dreadful, dreadful uh, tragedy. John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 and I mentioned the Gardaí in that story. The Gardaí are also making a lot of the papers today but I suppose it's a kind of a good it, well it is a good news story and hopefully it'll prove to be even a better news story for some families because Gardaí yesterday just put up online and are displaying what they reckon is more than €165,000 worth of what they say is stolen jewellery and they're now hoping to reunite these pieces of jewellery with their rightful owners. The items range from diamonds to rings to necklaces. There's an array of watches there. There's some gorgeous pendants. There's earrings and there's cufflinks. Now, while some individual pieces, you can tell even looking at them, I was looking at them online before I came on air this morning, you can straight away see that some of them are very, very valuable. But a lot of them are going to be more of sentimental value to the families who they were originally stolen from. The jewellery is believed to have been stolen in burglaries all over the country. Now, they were recovered in one property in the Greater Tala area. It was recovered during a number of Garda operations and there's no rests have been made yet, but the Garda are saying the investigation is ongoing and the authorities are following a, a definite line of inquiry and while they're trying to sort out who has done it and, and all of that and get the perpetrators or perpetrator behind bars, what they're now trying to do is to reunite the all of this jewellery with their rightful owners and they're encouraging anyone who's been a victim of a burglary. I suppose in the recent years, I don't think this jewellery has probably been kept for very long, so maybe in the last year, because usually these people involved with the theft of valuable jewellery, the gold can often be, they'll melt, they'll sell it on to have it melted down or they'll sell it on. They don't have a tendency to hang on to it uh, for very long. So if you go to the Garda website, Garda.ie, and you can look at all of the individual items, there's 41 watches up there. They reckon the watches alone have a combined worth of €37,000. There's 32 rings. Now, I was looking at the rings. To me, some of those rings are engagement rings. A lot of them are dress rings, but certainly there's a lot of them I was looking at this morning and and I thought they were, that's a much-loved engagement uh, ring. Now, there's also, and I think this is unfortunate, they've also have diamonds and stones that have been removed from items of jewellery. I'm assuming then the gold has been sold on to be melted down. 
and they reckon there's about 55,000 euro worth of diamonds and precious stones. That's going to be nigh on impossible, I imagine, to to find who the owners are because if it was, say, for example, an engagement ring that might have had, you know, one diamond or a cluster of diamonds and if they've taken all the diamonds out, obviously their plan was then to sell on the diamonds, it's going to be impossible for anybody to say, yes, I, that's definitely the diamond that was in my engagement uh, ring. But the Gardaí are at absolute pains to point out that all of the items, while they were found in the Tala area of Dublin, they know that they, these items could have been stolen from anywhere in the country, in particularly in the last few months, but even going back to the last few years. And that's why they're advising people, if you were a victim of a burglary and a burglary where items of jewellery were stolen, they're saying to people to please go on to the website, take a look at all of the uh, photographs. They also have them up on the Garda social media channels. If you think one of the items online is your ring, watch, piece of jewellery, whatever. They're asking you to contact Crumlin Garda Station on 01 That's double six double six two double zero. And what you do is you leave a message and then a member of the team will come back and they'll start the process of trying to establish proof of ownership. And actually, when I was looking at all of this jewellery today, I was saying the proof of ownership is going to be the bit, the big one for an owner to say, yes, that clearly is my ring. So the best piece of advice in the Garda are emphasising this as well is for all of us who are luckily in the position that we haven't been burgled to photograph and keep a record of all particularly if you've got any valuable piece of jewellery they also for example say if you've got receipts for jewellery I don't know how many people have hung on to receipts if you bought an expensive ring or the hobby who gave you the engagement ring did he keep the receipt for the engagement ring unlikely but rather than if you can't keep the receipt you certainly can we can all keep photographs have have photographs and of course with camera phones now it's a very easy thing to do some of the watches that in this collection that they found are expensive brands I mean there's a Rolex I spotted a Rolex straight away but what the one that caught my eye were there's four pocket watches now these are old pocket watches and these are definitely pieces that even the Gardaí are agreeing were possibly passed down through the generations and would have been of huge sentimental value to uh, families and there's one locket in particular that the Gardaí are putting a lot of emphasis on and they really are hoping that they can reunite it with the family that it belongs to. If you're going online, it's item number 136 if you want to have a very clear look at it. But it is a locket, a very traditional old style gold locket, but it has inscriptions on the face of it. And inside it's got two very old photographs this is a piece that I think is going to be very easy for a family to say that is our family heirloom. One of the res- the inscriptions appears to refer to a man called Robert Johnson who died on March 28th, 1855. He was just 18. And the other then is Alexander Johnson obviously a relation, 68th Light light Infantry, who died in Portsmouth on his return from the Crimea War in 1856 and he was aged 26. So we assume that they were two brothers who died within a year of each other and I'm imagining in my own mind 
that the mother of these two boys, somebody purchased this locket for the mother, put the photograph of her two sons, Robert and Alexander, and she probably wore this locket and held the two boys' photographs, you know, close to her heart. And that was a piece then that would have got passed on to maybe another family member and passed on down through the generations, considering the inscriptions are 1855 and 1856. And it's the fact that it's the Johnson family. Surely that is one piece that the Gardaí would should be fairly easy for a family to realise that's our family locket and it would be fantastic to get that piece back to that family. But as I say, if the Gardaí are pains to point out, even though they were found in Dublin, we know that criminals travel all over the country. Some of these items could have been stolen from here in Cork and it would be fantastic to reunite them with their rightful owners. So Garda.ie if you want to take a look at all of the pieces that are up online. Fantastic news yesterday with the announcement by the organisers of the Guinness Cork Jazz Festival that the event is going to go ahead this year. The confirmation comes after months of speculation as to whether the lifting of the COVID restrictions Restrictions would come in time for the event to take place on the October bank holiday uh, weekend. And it has been going on in Cork on the October bank holiday weekend every year since 1978. And last year, because of COVID, was actually the first year that it had to be cancelled. And obviously music fans, hospitality industry, all welcoming the return of the event. Because this is an event that generates millions of euro for the local economy. Now, the late arrangements, as well as the fluid COVID situation, will probably now mean an emphasis on homegrown acts for this year's event, which will take place from October 22nd through to October 25th. And, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing, that it's going to be all the homegrown acts, because this is an industry that has been decimated and these are musicians, many of them haven't, haven't worked since March of last year. So I think it's kind of good that it's going to be all the homegrown local acts, Irish acts that will take place as part of the Guinness Jazz Festival. Rory Sheridan is the head of partnership at Diageo and he's making the point that this will be the first major festival in Ireland since the pandemic had to take place, uh, which is a significant mile, milestone, not just for the musicians, but for the events uh, industry. And he's pointed out they've been one of the hardest hit of all of of the in of the industries, but also for the festival goers who have been waiting for a little bit of good news. And now it's all over to Fiona Collins, who is the festival chairperson, and she says the program is currently being finalised, so they are off off straight away and running and ready to go. But certainly that is a good news story uh, for the Guinness Jazz Festival going to go ahead this year. Positive for all jazz fans. We've been talking about insurance this week on the program, and thank you to. Yvonne, who's sent me in an email this morning that really shows how shopping around and how using brokers really can help, be it that you use a local broker or you use one of the online ones. And she has a cautionary tale to tell to to say, Patricia, I know you're regularly following insurance and I thought that my story might be of interest to you. My premium was up for renewal and it it arrived in and it was at €800. I decided to contact the company to see if they could cut me a better deal but the lines were constantly engaged so I went online and I found one of the online brokers and I rang them instead. Got through to a very nice man who took all of my details and I explained to him I actually needed a little bit of extra cover in that I wanted legal protection I wanted to make sure my no claims bonus was protected. I also wanted to add on another uh, driver. 
all of that was included. He came back to me with a new uh, premium, which, by the way, I've agreed to pay €450. So that's €350 less than the original quote from my company. And guess what? It's with the same company. (laughs) Isn't that just incredible? Uh, Now, obviously, you've gone ahead with the €450. I'm wondering because we have heard other listeners say that when something similar happened to them, and when they went back to their original company to say, look, I'm not going to be renewing with you uh, because I'm after getting a deal with an, a broker for 350 less. And by the way, it's with your good selves. They'll, they'll come back and say, oh, we'll match it. It's just, it's utter madness. But it does prove that by shopping around, but to, the fact that you're staying with the same company and Yvonne reckons that she's even got a little bit of extra cover over what she had with the original company and she's coming out with €350 extra in her pocket and Yvonne, it's better off in your pocket than in the pockets of the insurance company. Go you. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now, the Irish Society of Chartered Physiotherapists have launched Ireland's first long COVID hub. It's to provide support and information to people suffering from long COVID as well as their families. And joining me from the ISCP is professional advisor Esther Mary Darcy. Good morning to you, Esther Mary. Good morning, Susan. Uh, You're very welcome uh, to the programme. Firstly, have we any indication of how many people are suffering from long COVID? Well, um, Patricia, we think from the international evidence that about one in 10 persons who have COVID will go on to develop long COVID. So that's quite, quite, that's quite a, a lot of people. Number. That's a lot, lot of people. Do the symptoms of long COVID vary from person to person? They can, yes. I mean, the most common symptoms would probably be uh, fatigue and shortness of breath, and sometimes that fatigue can be overwhelming fatigue. But there can be other symptoms such as chest pain, um, memory um, issues, concentration. People talk about brain fog, um, sleeping difficulties, joint um, uh, problems. So there can be a large range of, of, of symptoms. So certainly it can it can vary from person to person. And we have no way of knowing if somebody gets COVID, who is likely to get long COVID and who's not? No, there's no um, there's no indication that, for instance, that the severity of the COVID would indicate that you'd get long COVID. There's no connection, so we can't predict who will who will get it. Does it affect people of all ages? It does. Yes, um, we have been seeing people from about between sixteen, as young as sixteen years, and up to eighty-eight uh, years. Um, I know in the UK, they would say that they've seen more women than men, especially women in the 23 to 65 uh, age group. But in Ireland, we're seeing at the moment an equal number of men and women. And some of them would have had very severe COVID in the initial stages. But would some of them have had, because you know, you hear of people saying, oh, I had COVID, I didn't even realise I had it. Yeah. Absolutely. As I say, there's no relationship between the severity of the COVID that uh, a person had and the long COVID. So you could have mild symptoms or little or no symptoms and develop long COVID, or you could have severe symptoms of COVID and and develop long COVID. There's no connection. 
And what treatment is currently available for people diagnosed with well, long COVID? <clears throat> a lot of it at the moment is management. We obviously have um, insufficient guidelines uh, to to for best practice because you know we're really only seeing this in the last in the last year um, and uh, to to, to uh, fifteen months. So. Uh, it's really about management, and that's what our hub is there. It's to bring together all of the information that there is at the moment because it's not available anywhere else. And it's about the big message, I think, is about a cautious approach. You know, as physiotherapists, we have are big into rehabilitation, and, you know, we, we push the patients on a little bit. Um, but in patients with long COVID, the approach is cautious, and the advice is about planning your day, pacing yourself and prioritising what you have to do um, and, and managing your, uh, your, your breathing and really managing your, your expectations, you know, because the other thing about long COVID is it, it can come in waves, like, like the waves of COVID, but it can be what's often called episodic. You know, you can feel great for a while and then it can come at you again. Um, so you have to manage that, you know, um, if you, if you, if you wake up feeling tired, then you've got to manage the tiredness. It's not a question of, oh, you know, getting up and pushing yourself through it and getting on with it. You have to manage the day. You have to try and avoid that exertion, um, and the, the, the sort of the crash that sometimes comes after exertion where your oxygen levels might, uh, might, might fall. Um, and are you seeing people who fully recover from long COVID? And if so, how long does that take? Well, again, there's no um, there's no pattern to how long it takes um, to recover from it. What we are concentrating on is that people manage it. You know, there are people who have post COVID where the symptoms might be between four and twelve weeks, but. By that stage, they they've no further symptoms. Okay, with long COVID, it can go on for 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 a while, and and we really don't know how long. But we are still seeing people from the first wave and from the second wave. And, wow, uh, I mean, people from the first wave yeah. would be now well over a year, yes. well over a year since they were first diagnosed. Yes, yes. So Goodness, you that's know, scary. About, yeah, it's about well. You know, it's about helping them as well to maintain um, their, uh, you know, their their lifestyle and to and to manage it. Really, you know, that's that's the important um, the important issue. I think is about managing it, and that's why our hub gives that kind of information. Yeah, because I know you know one of the symptoms that people spoke about with COVID was the the loss of taste and smell. Yes, and I remember yes. interviewing a gentleman who was trying to set up a support like people fully recovered, except they never got back mm. their sense of taste and smell. Are you, are you seeing that still? Yes, you can see you can see that in long COVID as well. Yeah, and that's shocking because for people trying to eat and you know yeah. if food isn't tasting properly. I know, yes, and you're, you're, you're less inclined to eat when it doesn't taste so when yeah, it doesn't taste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And is yeah. it true we don't have any long COVID clinics here in Munster? Um, well, that's, yeah, that's an issue. The HSC is um, establishing long COVID clinics and it has established them in, in, um, in the Dublin hospitals. Yeah. Um, and then outside of Dublin, there's just Our Lady of Lourdes in Drogheda and Waterford, uh, 
University Hospital and Galway University Hospital. So the nearest one for uh, Cork would be would be Waterford. And we are really calling for the HSE to, one, to speed up the implementation of these clinics, but two, to make sure that people have equal access to it. You know, so in Cork, we want the people of, you know, McCroom to Middletown and Charleville to Clonakilty to be able to access to access clinics. You have- are you okay there? Your alarm it's yes. not a smoke alarm now or anything that you need no, to No, 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 I'm fine. No, no, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you want hubs to be local. Because, yes. Because I'm also thinking, I mean, when you when you describe somebody having that absolutely chronic fatigue almost, yes. the thought of that person getting into a car, they mightn't even be able to get into a car to drive a distance to get to a long That's COVID right. clinic. They, they, they may well be dependent on their family member to, to, to bring them there. So, you know, I think the more local the clinics are, the better. I mean, it does take a lot of people, um, uh, uh, you know, it, there may people may need to see specialists, so they may need to see a respiratory consultant, they may need to see a neurology consultant. and things. So it is difficult to bring all these people together, but at least if there was a clinic where people were being seen, they were being assessed, they were being assessed by the physiotherapist, they were being assessed if it's concentration and memory by the occupational therapist. And then if people need to be referred on, for instance, to a, to a heart specialist or a lung specialist, I think that they could... Um, that, that, they, that they could. Um, so what we are looking for is to set up these clinics. And I'll give you an example, um, Patricia. In, in uh, London, back by the end of December last year, they had set up um, a, a clinic in every borough in London. So there were 32 long COVID clinics uh, established in, in London to give people local access. So it was within their own borough. Um, so we, we really need that for, um, for Ireland um, because if you consider that one in 10, one in 10 people are, are, are developing this, um, that's a lot of people. Yeah. So we need it for the counties and Cork has had a, a big number of cases. So we, we, uh, we need that. Um, yeah, because Laura, one of our, our listeners, was diagnosed with COVID back in February of this year. She's still suffering the effect. She hasn't gone back to work. But she finds that her doctor doesn't seem to, her GP doesn't seem to understand the symptoms and how, how she's feeling. Would that be common? Well, I think that, I mean, I think that GPs would be familiar with all of the symptoms. I think that it's because there are so many, there's such a myriad of symptoms um, that it can be it can be hard to manage, um, and I think that's why we put all of the information uh, up there to help people to manage their their symptoms. But you know there may be symptoms where you would need to see uh, obviously a physiotherapist. There'll be symptoms where you need to see an occupational therapist, and as I said before, referral on to to other um, uh, um, medical consultants such as, as as heart consultants if it was a heart issue. You know, the, um, and lung. Uh, Specialists, if, if it was a, um, uh, you know, needed further further management, so you know the GPs need to be able to have those clinics where they can refer their patients um, on to to be assessed and and to be managed. So and uh, and what role does a physiotherapist play in helping people recover from well, long COVID? 
we have a, a, a fairly large role in that, obviously, with the, when the symptoms are fatigue and shortness of breath, um, we are um, helping the patient to manage that fatigue and the shortness of breath. We are helping to kind of retrain the breathing. And you know, on, the, on the, the hub, we have videos there to show you how to actually manage your breathing. And that will that will help. Absolutely. And then there's obviously, you know, the building up, the slow building up of your your strength and your uh, endurance and your your fitness levels. But as I say, that is a cautious approach um, and, and, and through a, a pacing and planning and prioritizing um, a, a approach to rehabilitation. But we are there um, for that as, as, as well. Yeah, because I saw a young boy on TV I was an 18, 19 year old. This was at the start of the first uh, wave. Now, he was very uh, sick with COVID and ended up in an ICU in an induced coma and, and all of that. Mm. But when he came back out of it, he was attending a physiotherapist. He had to learn how to walk again. Yeah. Thinking, yeah. Now, I know well, that, that's a very extreme case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is. But that's where, you know, you can have symptoms that really literally affect your your kind of neurological uh, uh, aspects of your body and you and we've you know we've certainly had to retrain people to uh, to to work to to walk again now as you say it's you know it 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 it, it, it is uh, it that's not common but it does happen and you know that we have we have seen many patients that we have needed that type of rehabilitation and um, where they, where we need to um, again, monitor, but also to 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 bring on their rehabilitation and build up their strength and their learning to walk uh, again and to retrain their walking pattern. Okay, and while we wait for more of these long COVID clinics to open up, in the meantime, Esther, your group of the Chartered Physiotherapists have this have this hub. How can people access it? Yeah, and that hub is by simply going to askthephysio.ie. And they will see the long COVID section um, up there, and you know there's even things like a diary where they can chart their activity and their uh, their their um, uh, breathlessness and their things, and keep a diary of what it looks like as well. So mm. there's all sorts of practical tips uh, to to help them. Well and done. for their well family done. and carers. Yeah, well. I was just going to say, I think it's I mean, obviously for somebody trying to manage their own long COVID uh, symptoms, but many people are living with a loved one uh, who's doing the caring and trying to look after the person with the long COVID. So this hub will be essential to them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we really are encouraging people to go and, and look at it and, and, and hopefully that it, they will find it helpful. OK, it's a terrific um, facility. Well done and well done for putting it up online and throwing it out there to, to everybody. Esther Mary, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for thanks joining us. Thank Good you. morning to you. That is oh. Esther Mary Darcy, who is a professional advisor with the Irish Society of Chartered Physiotherapists. If you are a loved one battling and suffering from long COVID and you're looking for help, please go to their home. I was, I was looking at it uh, yesterday evening. It's got lots and lots of information on it at ask or ask the physio dot ie ask the physio dot ie eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Court today on C one zero three with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig dot ie. Now the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly has given an update on Ireland's COVID nineteen vaccination program, and he's announced that residents 
deceased aged 65 years and older living in long-term residential care facilities and people aged 80 years of age and older living in the community are all set to receive a booster dose of an mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. Now some people feel that that's not going far enough that we should be offering boosters to more uh, people. Eddie, uh, one of our listeners uh, has contacted us on this. Good morning to you, Eddie. Good morning, Patricia. Do you think it, that Nyack have gone far enough? Do you think more people should be offered a booster? Well, the way I look at it is, Patricia, go back six months and they were saying, Ireland, what the players were behind, Ireland are on top of their game now. There are new strains coming on board. We should be, once the five or six months are up, anyone that wants a booster should get it. And like I said to John Paul there, we have the goody goodies on there now again today that we should come back in the United Nations that we should go and say after the rest of the world first. We're only dropping the ocean, the boosters, but it's the ordinary vaccine. And like I said to John Paul, anybody that wants to can, like Liam Neeson said, pick up the phone, call the number and donate a vaccine out of their own pocket if they're that worried. I'm not against, I want everyone in the world to be vaccinated, but if we won't introduce the booster, we're in dire trouble in a few months' time. All right, now what you're talking about is the World Health Organization. They came out uh, yesterday and said rich countries. Now they would deem us, by the way, a rich country. Oh, yeah, and when you compare us to a third world country, yeah, yeah, well, we will certainly say we're not, but to the World Health Organization, we are. And if you compare us to a third world country, obviously we are. But anyway, they say rich countries which la- with large supplies of coronavirus vaccines should refrain from offering booster shots through the end of the year and make the doses available for poorer uh, countries. Um, and so, so they're saying hold off on the boosters. But what I would say, and I think you would agree, there is emerging evidence there relating to a decreasing immunity of the vaccine's effectiveness. And if you don't think about... Yeah, right, yeah. 16, 15, and some people, yeah, you're bang on. And with people... Now, I know where Nyack is coming from by saying the people in long-term residential care facilities because they would have been the first back in... Was it January? Was it yes. sometime, say, the yes. beginning of January we started okay. vaccinating? So the people who would have got their, their doses first... Many of those are well gone past six months of being fully vaccinated. Yes. So, so I can see why why Nyack are looking to them first. But I think a number of people feel he, they should have gone further. There are other people, um, immunocompromised people, other people out. In, I mean, anybody over the age of 65 out in the community equally could be at least six months past their vaccine. Why are they not being offered? But at least we're starting. The point I make is this. The ones that are saying that we shouldn't do a bit until all the world is vaccinated. If we won't go down the road, that Donnelly is going down at the moment and start off and they're going down and start off we'll be, we'll be in dark trouble by, we'll be back at Christmas like we were last year again. Do you think we'd have another wave? But so there's, there's at least two new strains at the moment. How many more How many more are going to come on board? Yeah, but you see the World Health Organization will argue that we're going to keep having strains until we vaccinate the rest of the world. We're not all safe until everyone is safe. I know, but we're going to be back in square one if we want, if we want to keep on top. So stay The vaccinations that we've got are only our their immunity is decreasing by, by the month. Yeah, yeah. So what we need to do I mean, is we're prepping the world. What I'm saying is the ones that that they can put their hands in their pocket. And, there, and there's other and, there's other ways of doing this. Exactly. 
Like the Finnish on the on the television, they're right asking people to do that. UNICEF, Uni- and, yes. and I have to say, because somebody's saying how much you, how much is the vaccine? Well, you can give you can give as little or as much as you want. I know it's a donation to us. It's a donation. I know in our household, when all of us were fully vaccinated, I went on to uh, UNICEF and I wanted to. There was four of us who had been fully vaccinated, and I was damn happy and pleased to get it. And I was in a position that I was able to donate. We said twenty five euro per head, so we put in a hundred euro into. But you. You can give as little or as much as you as much as you can afford, and I'm hopeful that they bought a number of vaccines with that. The other thing, the ball has been put back now in the people's court. People are told to go back to work, and like one woman, she was near a show the other day. Yes, people going back to work, they're not vaccinated. Well, you've and got the that. In the, dis- the people down the distance next to them don't even know that they're not vaccinated. So when you see this group, another mind field. Would you be nervous about working beside somebody who wasn't vaccinated? But of course you would. Yeah, yeah. I I think going back to work is going to be. I know the majority are vaccinated, but you're right. There will be offices where and people will be working very closely beside uh, somebody. And let me see if some of these people are very intelligent people. They're not. They're not. They're they're playing this no vaccine game. We've seen cardinals in America. Hmm. So your but your message to Nyack and to Minister Stephen Donnelly is, it, is roll minister, out the the booster. Yeah. But to, ev- to everyone who wants it. Well, you'd start off and the minute they're done, come on to the next and don't start, keep going. A little bit like what they did with our vaccination rollout. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And help with it. But I mean, what I'm saying is we're not going to the amount of vaccines that you say would we'll, we'll be on a drop in the ocean. Get after China and all these who are causing the problem. Well, I heard something earlier this morning that India have mass vaccination factories that they could be producing a huge amount of vaccines. And the minute I heard it, I was kind of thinking, is that not the way we should be going? You know, if if the resources are there in India to produce these vaccines, start producing them there. Yes, and, see, and, and get their own house in order. And, get, and roll them out then to all of the third world countries and the countries that uh, need them. All right, listen, it's a good point. We'll see. I have a feeling there'll be a number of people uh, agreeing with you and you'd be first in line. Would you, Eddie, to roll up your sleeve for a booster? Oh, yeah. No no problem. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. well done. Well done. All right. Look after yourself and stay safe. And that's what everybody's trying to do. Everybody's just trying to stay safe and look after themselves. But the World Health Organization, obviously, that's their job as well. They have to look after people in third world countries. And we know we're doing so well in this country. I mean, what are we up about 90% fully vaccinated? But when you compare that to other countries like African countries where there's only a tiny, tiny proportion of people who have been vaccinated, even nurses and doctors who are working with people haven't been offered a a vaccine. You know, that's where the World Health Organization, that's their job to come out and say we need to protect uh, those people as well. And we know we have the UN-backed COVAX programme which aims to get vaccines to the neediest people in uh, the world but they just don't seem to be able to get their hands on enough vaccines to get them to the neediest people in the world. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about vaccines with Eddie in the last hour and somebody was asking how much uh, is a vaccine and I misunderstood the question so they've sent in another. They were wanting to know how much is it actually to produce a uh, vaccine. Now the last piece that I read about vaccines would have been in July and it was a piece from Oxfam. Now obviously Oxfam were 
very much talking about third world countries and the need to try to get vaccines uh, into third world uh, countries. But they had done, they on some research they had done, they reckoned that it costs as little as $1.20 a dose. That's to physically make it. Now, that's not adding in all the money that would go into the research of it. But now that we're at that stage, to physically produce it, it works out at $1.20 a dose. Now, that's not what they're sold on to for for the different countries, but that's how much the companies uh, charge for it. And then, as with all medicines, richer countries pay more for medicine than poorer countries and the reason for that is to allow poorer countries access to medicine. They can't have you know, a blanket cost on medicine because poorer countries simply wouldn't be able to afford it. So it's always been the case that richer countries pay more for medicine to allow for it to be sold cheaper in cheaper countries. But of course we know with the COVID vaccine the problem is that there isn't physically enough vaccines even though they've you know they're they're upping production and there seems to be more and more but now what we're happening is the richer countries are starting to stockpile theirs to use for boosters and that's why the World Health Organization is coming out saying the richer companies shouldn't be giving out boosters we need to vaccinate the third world countries but the bigger problem from the pharmaceutical point of view for the poorer countries is the fact that the companies who produce and who make all of the vaccines they haven't they've yet to agree to transfer the vaccine technology and the know-how with any capable producers in developing countries because the day that that happens that would then increase global supply and it would drive down prices and that knock-on of that is it would save millions of lives so that's where we need the pharmaceutical companies now to hand over that vaccine technology, hand over the know-how. There are capable producers in developing countries who can do it, but they need the they need the transfer of the vaccine technology. So that's, I think, where the push really needs to come from now. And that's where the World Health Organization and the, the richer companies, countries, they need to start pushing all of these pharmaceutical firms to say, come on, it's a global pandemic. You need to start sharing the information so that developing com- countries can start producing their own vaccines and that certainly would solve a lot of the problems but the actual making of a vaccine it's as little as one dollar and at 20 cent 1850 103 Catherine was on she was one of our first texts in this morning saying just wondering what do people think of the GAA charging a handling fee to buy tickets for matches. I know that they're now selling these tickets through an outside body, but it seems a new step forward. And I know it's only 58 cent on an eight euro ticket, but it's the principle, says uh, Catherine. So it seems, yes, Catherine is right. The GAA are not now selling tickets through their own website. They're using a third party site, which John Paul tells me is called Universe. And it's linked with Ticketmaster. And they, so when you go to buy your ticket, you pay... In Catherine's case, it was €8 a ticket. But as you know, if you buy any tickets through Ticketmaster or any company like that, there is always a handling fee. And the handling fee, it's usually around 50 cent, even though Catherine says hers was 58 cent. That's on top of uh, the ticket. And a lot of people are saying it is the principle of the matter. It is only 50 odd cent, but it's the principle of the matter, particularly if it's for a local game. People seem to take a lot of umbrage to that. But just to warn people, if you are buying tickets, that's the way the GAA, I don't know why that decision was made, but they're now handling the 
sale of their tickets has gone through a third party site. Maybe they're just simply gone uh, too busy. Maybe that is the uh, issue. Thank you for your text, Catherine, to 0862 103 103. Now, we are going to be offering words of advice to the class of uh, 2021, the Leaving Cert students who had those amazing results last Friday week and then of course the disappointment this week when the CAO offers came out and people who got top points suddenly realised that even having the maximum points of 625 wasn't enough to get them in because too many the particular course that they wanted to do was oversubscribed. Michael though was making an interesting point about the Leaving Cert students this year's, last year's and maybe next year's and, and those going uh, forward. He said with great respect to all of the Leaving Cert students, especially those who worked so hard to obtain extremely high points in a very difficult atmosphere. However Patricia, it's so sad to see so few young people opting for apprenticeships to become tradesmen and women, to become mechanics, to become plumbers, heating engineers, qualified drivers, both car and truck drivers, the hospitality trade. There is a massive shortage on that side of the equation. Why, says Michael? Simply because the mammies and the daddies want the Johnnies and the Marys to be doctors, to be pharmacists, to be barristers, lawyers, engineers, company directors. They want their Johnny and Mary working at all of the top jobs. Look at our fishing industry. It's impossible for skippers to find young Irish men and women to come into the industry. Hence the reason why fishing trawlers have to rely on so many foreign nationals. You only have to look around and you will clearly see the shortages. Look to the UK and what's going on over there. They're at the moment finding it incredibly hard to get truck drivers. We need all grades of students to run an effective country. There is a place for everyone in society. Thanking you, says uh, Michael. And you make a lot of extremely valid points. And, you know, when we looked at the number of students sitting, was it 61,000 students were sitting there leaving search? And then when you look at the percentage of leaving search students that now go on to third level and go on to universities and go on to have degrees. And if you look back to even, say, 30 uh, years ago, I mean, even 40 years ago when I, was it 40, 30, 40 years ago when I left a school, there was only a handful of people went on to third level education in the early 80s and the rest of the people went on and did apprenticeships and did exactly what uh, Michael spoke about, trained you know, in an industry trained on the on the job, then a handful of people uh, went on to university. And that certainly has been flipped on its head in recent years. The majority now are striving to have university degrees, college uh, education, which isn't a bad thing. We're a very educated workforce. But the downside to that is if we don't have the people coming forward to be the truck drivers, to be the electricians, to be the plumbers, Michael is right. We won't run an effective country. We won't have effective communities. I mean, if we have everybody living in our midst that are doctors and pharmacists and solicitors and dentists, and we need all of those, but if we have too many of those, what happens then is they have to emigrate and it's other countries will benefit from this wonderful education system that we have and then we don't have enough and then we have to look to other countries to bring people in to be our plumbers and our electricians. So it is a good point. But what do you do? How do you turn that around? I mean, I was only yesterday speaking with Neil Grant, 
from the Celtic Ross in Ross Garbury and we were talking about the hospitality industry and the shortage of staff. Nobody wants to go in to hospitality, whatever about going into the management end of it that Neil himself was talking about. But nobody, it's very hard to encourage people to go in to start at washing up, to be cleaning bedrooms, to be chambermaids. Nobody wants to do those jobs. They just don't seem to be sexy enough jobs. People want easier jobs with higher pay. Pay can always be an issue. People will always talk about, you know, the minimum wage. Who wants to work for the minimum wage? So you can understand why young people want to go off, get educated, get their big degrees so that they can end up doing jobs where they're paid way more than the minimum wage. So maybe we need to look at the wages. Maybe we need to look at what we pay uh, people. But we, we have, we definitely have an issue. And we and even before the pandemic, we had an issue because when you look in hospitality is, is one, let me focus on that, In our hospitality before the pandemic, you would always hear people say, and you would have noticed it yourself when you went into hotels and restaurants and whatever, the number of foreign nationals that were working there, particularly Eastern Europeans, an awful lot of Eastern Europeans worked in our hospitality sector. Pandemic happened, they lost their jobs and many of them went home. The problem we have at the moment is a lot of them are not coming back because they've gone back to countries that say were very different when they first emigrated from them and the pandemic I think has made people reassess all of their lives and people wanting to be say closer to their families so not not all of them have come back now maybe some of them will start to come back as the country opens up more but that's going to leave gaping holes in industries that had up to now up to the pandemic relied on foreign nationals. I mean, Michael quotes the fishing industry for years and years. The fishing industry has had to rely on on foreign nationals because that's a tough, tough industry. And it's hard to get young people involved who are willing to go out there and work in all kinds of conditions. I mean, you you know, you will speak with people in the fishing industry where it's a family tradition. It's passed down from generation to generation. But then as you go on down through the generations, people will see the hardship that their fathers, their brothers, their mothers in some case had when they went to sea and might decide that's not for me. Same in the farming community. Farmers will tell you it's hard to get young people. There isn't a lot of money to be made in farming. So I can I can see it from both sides. I can see why why young people, when they are so well educated in this country, why they want to move on to to achieve a career that they perceive as better than, say, their parents. And in many cases, the parents will say it is a better career and they want an easier life than, say, their parents had. But we won't have an effective society. Michael is right, unless we have all the people going into the trades. What the answer is, I don't know. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls. If you want to text our WhatsApp, you can to 103 C103 Jobs. And we have some job vacancies to share with you this morning. Round Hill Services, they're looking for third or fourth year apprenticed electrician or qualified electrician. It's full and part-time hours available. Construction workers slash ground workers are wanted. That's for the Black Rock Crosshaven areas. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. An engineer required for electrical and mechanical setup and servicing of industrial weighing equipment in the Cork area 021. 4318388 and the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow they've got vacancies for accommodation assistance with one to two years previous experience CVs please to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com you'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now 
just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Irish Community Air Ambulance, based at Rathcool outside of Mill Street, has launched a fundraising campaign. It's part of the International Air Ambulance Week, which is this week. It is only when an incident or an accident happens to you or to a family member that we realise the importance of this service. Donica O'Sullivan is from Lispole outside Dingle and he joins me this morning to tell how the air ambulance helped him. Good morning to you, Donica. Good morning, Patricia. And how are you? I'm, I'm very well and, and you're very welcome. Now, it was this Thank month you. last year. so you're, It was you, the 28th of September last so year. So you're coming right. up to the anniversary. You were cutting, <laughs> you were cutting yeah. trees. I was cutting a tree um, that I've been doing with 30 or 40 years and had my ladder well secured to the tree. But unfortunately, it was an extended ladder. I was up about 20 feet and I cut the top branch as I thought it would fall away from me. Well, it did. But the bottom part of it bounced back and hit me on top of the head and put me airborne without a parachute. <laughs> with, so, with a chainsaw in your hand? With a chainsaw in my Well, I just put the chainsaw out of my hand, actually, uh, and it was balanced on two small, two smaller branches. And luckily enough, it stayed put. It stayed put. Well, with the new chainsaws now, once you take your finger off the throttle, they stop. Thank the chain God. parts, the chain parts yeah, stop. Yeah, you thank, know? Th- thank God. Luckily, luckily enough. So... You're, you're falling 20 feet. I fell 20 feet backwards, yeah, and shattered the vertebrae. I knew as soon as I hit the ground that I heard the crack, I knew the back was broken. I knew the back was broken, like, you know. I, luckily enough, I landed on, on grass. If I had landed on anything harder, the surgeon told me in Cork that I would have been either dead or in a chair, one or the other, for the rest of the day, my days. So I can consider myself very lucky, but... Uh, my main reason for being on this morning is, is to extol the virtues of the, of the Irish Air Ambulance, the Community Air Ambulance, because they, they once they came on the scene to me, everything everything took a turn for the better. Let's put it that way. But you're uh, you're, you're lying on the ground. You you I'm know ground, you yeah. know you're in trouble. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, uh, I, I wiggled my toes in, in my boots, so I knew that my spine was still intact. Okay. Well, the things you think of in, in, in know, these types of situations. But in a lot but, of pain. Oh. In, Terrible pain, terrible pain. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. So who came to your aid? Who initially came to your aid? Well, my sister actually was, was just nearby and uh, I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't lose consciousness at any stage. And uh, my sister, who was just down from Dublin, to a, she has a holiday home down here, and she was just nearby and I shouted and she heard me. And um, she came, she got the phone out of my pocket and uh, rang for the ambulance and I told her to tell them that it was a, a spinal injury that I, I knew my back was broken, like I heard the crack, as they say, of the bone when I hit the ground, you know. And uh, luckily enough, I was able to I was able to give her my, my ear code off the top of my head. Well done, well done. I have all, the, I have all those numbers uh, locked away in the corner of the brain. <laughs> so and, the, so uh, the ambulance arrived first, was it? Well, the ambulance arrived first, yeah, uh, after about an hour. After about an hour. Oh, God. And, uh, but the air ambulance was along then 10 minutes later. And the, well, they had a, a far longer journey to come. I'm I'm a hundred miles from Cork, like from Cork City. Okay. And back out, back out towards Dingle, down on, on the coast of Dingle Bay. So. And they have all the equipment for somebody oh, with a have, back injury. They have, they have indeed, yeah. And uh, 
they were luckily enough they were able to land in, in the field just beside where I was working as well like so I, the, the, the helicopter itself was, wasn't was 50 yards away from me like you know Could you hear the helicopter coming? Oh yeah I heard it coming yes I heard it coming on the way alright like yeah, I'm getting closer and uh, I couldn't see it because I was I, the, the, the cut I had on top of my head my there was a good uh, bit of my scalp lifted off by the by the branch. Ah. So there a lot of blood, a lot of blood. Oh. <laughs> and it was flowing into my eyes and things like so I hadn't great vision, shall we say. Your poor sister. But, but, but uh, all I know, yeah. What a she scene. Was, she was kind of, well, a lot of my neighbours had gathered at that stage then as well, like, you know, so uh, I was mentioned to my neighbours especially because they had done first aid courses uh, uh, with regards to their own work and, and they were on the scene. And it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, they kept me calm as well before the ambulance arrived. Like, they kept me immobile because uh, I was lying at an awkward angle. My, one of my legs was kind of twisted sideways. We thought maybe that my pelvis was broken as well, like, you know. Uh, but uh, it wasn't, thankfully. Thankfully, thankfully. And, and um, they, they, they kept me calm, but they would not let me move. <laughs> Which and everybody... I, want, I wanted yeah. to move and every, so I get a comfortable position. Yeah, could, and everyone says that with any kind of a neck move, or yeah. a back injury. Yeah, and as you move. say, you're in excruciating pain. pain so, you want to move. Yeah, but you, but, but, but you don't. Yeah, but but so, they didn't. So so they, 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 kept me, they kept me more uh, immobile until the ambulance arrived. And... and uh, when the air ambulance crew, crew arrived in, like, you know, they're, they're, oh gosh, they're, they are very professional people, there's no doubt about that, you know. And did you get pain relief at that stage? I did, but um, it, it wasn't really working that well, you know, I, they they dosed me with all kinds of stuff, I had a, they gave me this little tube that I sucked on as well, like, you know, and it gave a kind of a temporary relief, all right, but... but when you, still, when you break seer, your back, searing pain, searing pain going up yeah. and down the back. Like, you know. So you take yeah. off in the ambulance. How quickly you went to Cork? I'm assuming. Oh, we went to Cork. Yeah, they arrived about, I'd say about five past five. Thereabouts, like you know. So by the time they had me on the stretcher and, and all this kind of stuff, uh, we took off. Then it's about six. So I was in Cork in a half an hour. Yeah. You know, and this is this is the importance of our yeah. community air ambulance. If oh, gosh, we didn't, if if that air ambulance wasn't available to you on that day, Donica, I would have been facing a journey to Cork in an ambulance. About uh, how, how long? How long a journey? Well, I'm a hundred miles from Cork, wow. and you know every bump and <sighs> every bump and turn on the oh. road would have been excruciating. Like plus the fact, like that they were they immobilised my 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 head and neck as well, uh, and. They were, the way they had me strapped down to the to the gurney, I think they call it the little the the you know I was I was totally immobile. If I tried to move, I couldn't. Mm. You know, that kind of way. So, but if you're travelling in, in an ambulance, I've no fault to the ambulance. It's not their fault. Like, but uh, and and I, some I, of the some of the highways. Oh, the ride by by helicopter. That's for sure. Some of the highways and byways travelling between uh, exactly, Kerry and like, Cork. Yeah. Time, but yeah, they're not great. Like you know, they're not great. But there's doubt. And then so, you, you get up I to mean, see... They, they, quiz, they quiz my wife then as well about... At least they get all the information from her then as well, like, you know, to, to dates of birth and all that kind of stuff. And they left me alone. Which is good. <laughs> suck, suck, sucking on the tube, <laughs> trying, to, trying to ease the pain. So you got and to you got to CUH, and then what What was the diagnosis? What did they tell uh, you? What did you broken? Yeah, I was brought in, brought in, all clothes cut off me the whole lot. <laughs> and... Uh, they they sent me for a scan and and they they confirmed that there was a vertebrae shattered. All right, you know, 
and uh, uh, I was operated on the surgery the following day. Uh, uh, he said it would take about maybe uh, two, two and a half hours, like, you know, thereabouts. Uh, but unfortunately, it took oh, oh, nearly seven and a half hours altogether. In surgery? In, in surgery, yeah. They, they, I was put to sleep at about a quarter past eleven. I remember asking the nurse just before the, she put me to sleep. I said, what time is it now? She says, quarter past eleven. You'll have a nice sleep there for the next couple of hours now. And uh, when I came around in the recovery room, it was uh, 10 to 5 days. Wow. So the, the, bone, the, the, bone was, uh, the bone was in bits like the He told me it, it proved uh, way more difficult and, and uh, an awkward job than they thought it would be like, you know. He said they had to pick the bone out with the tweezers. <laughs> the bits. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and a year on, Donica. Where, where are you I'm, at? I'm, I'm still in a lot of pain. Oh, yeah. Constant, constant pain. Yeah, I am. I am, without a doubt. Like it's, it's. I was down to Cork yesterday actually for a, for a consultation with with, with Mr. Reedy, the surgeon, and he had taken an MRI there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he can't find anything that's causing the pain. He's consulting now with him. I think Mr. Dolan, uh, who's who's a, a back specialist. And he's, he's going to have a look at the, at the MRI as well, and they're going to consult and see if they can come up with something. Because painkillers aren't working. I'm on no painkillers at the moment, because there's no point in having them when they're not working. You know. And your 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 mobility? Are you are you uh, walking? Not great no. at all. I'm, I'm no. walking. All right. Yeah, I'm walking. Uh, yeah, definitely. But uh, every step is pain. Every step is painful. Uh, well, I'm I'm in pain when I'm walking, sitting, or standing. Ah, oh, God and, help uh, you. Even in bed by night, as soon as I move in bed, it wakes me, so I wake five, six times a night. And back pain so is excruciating. Oh, it is, it is. It's like getting a stab of a knife into the bottom of the back when I move in bed by night. So that will wake you, <laughs> So <laughs> you like it or not. <laughs> so you're not back up trees anyway, that's for sure. Oh, well, no, 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 I have stayed away from ladders and trees in the meantime, just to admire the trees from a distance, that's all. <laughs> no no physical work? Uh, no, 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 like I'm, I was... Um, I worked in the post office for 42 years myself, but I have a, a small farm as well, so it's sheep. But I haven't cut a sheep since last September. Luckily enough, I have a son who, who has built his house just beside ourselves at home now, so he gets he gets the, a chance to prove how strong he is now. But listen, you're, you're, you're alive and you're standing. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you're, yeah, and please God, medicine is great. And, you know, these consultants are we were, I actually had called down to the air ambulance uh, to say thanks to them last Monday, we were down in Redcoat, uh because we run a little festival here every every um, August bank holiday weekend, and part of it is a charity walk on the on the bank holiday Monday. So the festival committee, uh, fair play to them, they, they donated uh, half the the money this year of this year's festival for the air ambulance because of of my situation. Oh, right? brilliant! And the other half then went to. Another very good cause, the the Jingle Coast and Cliff Rescue. Brilliant, brilliant organisation. Another well, arm, yeah. another arm of of the same thing, really. Yeah, you know. and we can't overemphasise enough yeah, how important all depending, this. All depending on, on people's pockets. Yeah, like, it's, really. it's shameful, really, that we have to do it. But this is the way these community groups operate, yeah, yeah. and the air ambulance. And I know people can donate on communityairambulance.ie. Oh, they can indeed. Yes, and I would urge everybody to to donate any food bob at all they have. Like you know, and do- we we did it. We did a family collection then ourselves as well. Like you know. So we, we, we had we, we had two thousand euro in total. Well, like just that. from the family, well done. So, well done. We, so we, you know, 
Well, geez, it's a small price to pay. I know, I know. <laughs> and you can also donate four euro by texting flight to five zero three hundred five zero three hundred. And somebody's just telling me that the vintage run will be held in Ballydehab on Sunday, the nineteenth of September. Vintage cars, trucks, motorbikes, yeah. tractors, and that's to raise funds for the community air ambulance entries fair, are being fair, taken fair, in fair, the fair. Irish Whip in Ballydehab. Listen, Donica, continued good luck with your recovery. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us this morning. Bye bye. God bless uh, Donica O'Sullivan there from Lispool outside of Kerry. Michael says Wales, this is on air ambulance. Wales has four air ambulances and five rapid response vehicles, all funded from bucket collections. Why the hell can we not fund even one? We should be ashamed of ourselves. It's just unbelievable. Of those four air ambulances in Wales, three of them are equipped with night vision. We should have the same here because remember, people can get seriously ill during the night as well as the day. Our paramedics should be trained for the helicopters. We need more than one air ambulance. The sooner another air ambulance is in service here, the more lives will be saved. It is the way forward. Most important when you are discussing the air ambulance to impress on men, women and children to know their air coat. That is all that they have to know when they make the call and actually Dunnick I think did that, made that point himself that when his sister arrived and got his phone out of his pocket he knew his air coat so that the ambulance and the air ambulance were able to get to him as quickly as uh, possible. Thank you for that. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. From motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie We're off to Band and Garda Station where Garda Frances Murphy joins us for her first Garda file. Good morning to you Frances and you're welcome along. Good morning Patricia. Uh, now in general it's good to hear the crime has been low in West Cork over the last couple of uh, weeks but you do have details of some criminal damage that has happened starting with an incident in Bandon. Yes Patricia um, in general our yeah, crime has been low just to cover a few instances, I suppose, that have been reported to us here in West Cork, to the Gardaí. Uh, criminal damage there in Bandon on the 28th of the 8th, 2021 this year. Uh, there was damage caused to a large potted plant outside the commercial premises here in Bandon. It happened, I suppose, in the early hours of the morning, and the cost of the damage was approximately about €100. Euros. Unfortunately, it's not an isolated incident of this type in recent weeks. You know, it's hard times for the locals. A lot of them have put a lot of time and effort into their properties. You know, and this behaviour is not acceptable. I suppose anyone with any information in relation to this or a similar incident in the area, we would like if you could pass on the information to Bandon Garda Station on 023-885-2200. Okay, and that kind of crime is so frustrating because it's so needless. It's just pointless. Um, and it's the whole community suffers because we all love to have areas that, you know, have nice potted plants around and, and you're right businesses do go to great effort so, so it really is shameful. Now there was an incident in uh, Clannacilty a couple of days later. That's right uh, Patricia in this case the injured party parked his car in Inchidani Car Park uh, when he returned to his vehicle a while later he discovered that it had been keyed from the back of the car all the way up to the front door on the driver's side uh, it definitely appeared to have been done deliberately Anyone that was in the vicinity at the time with any information, we would be very grateful if you could contact Clannacilty Garda Station on 023 
and stay in Clonakilty because a trailer was stolen. That's correct, Patricia. Uh, there was a theft of a trailer near Clonakilty on the 31st of August. The injured party reported the theft of a trailer from outside the entrance to Clonakilty Golf Club. This trailer had an advertisement board on it. They left this behind, but they took a large uh, metal chain that was also attached to the trailer. This occurred between 10pm on the 31st and 9am on the 1st of September. Anyone, again, that was in the vicinity that may have noticed any movement, please contact Clonacilty Garda Station with yeah, any information. Uh, and it would be unusual to see a trailer around at that hour of the night that it might stand out for, for somebody. Exactly, yeah. Dash cam fo- footage. And theft from cars. We're constantly talking about that here on, on the Garda file and not to leave anything of uh, value. There has been a few reports. There has. Um, it's not as, you know, I suppose a bigger crime and as that has been in the past. Thankfully. There, yes. Um, there has been a report recently there of a male acting suspicious in the Bandon area looking into parked cars. You know, we haven't had any specific reports of any thefts, but as always, you know, we cannot stress enough how important it is to be so vigilant when it comes to attend, unattended vehicles. You know, in most cases where the, the thefts are from cars, the cars are usually left unlocked. Do not leave any valuables visible in the car. If you are going walking, etc., then, you know, remove any items and leave them at home or put them in the boot before you reach your destination and not when you arrive. It's an open invitation for criminals if cars are left unlocked. It makes their job a whole lot easier. Yeah, and the the one that we were all guilty of at one stage, if you had a handbag with you, put it on the back seat and put a jacket on top of it. Again, it's glaringly obvious when somebody looks into the car that there's something under the jacket. Exactly, it's definitely a no-no. Yeah, okay, and back to criminal damage this time in Skibbereen. Back to Skibbereen on the 3rd of the 9th. There were two incidents reported to Gardaí where damage was caused to two parked cars overnight. Uh, tyres were slashed on both vehicles and also some damage to paintwork on one of the cars. Investigation and inquiries carried out by the local Gardaí and the culprit has been identified and brought before the courts, which is great. Okay, well done, well done. Now you want to talk to us, um, uh, Francis, a little bit about fraud and economic crime. Um, yes, Patricia, I suppose this is a, a growing problem all over the world. Uh, it's a huge problem at the moment. It's growing rapidly each and every day. Just to mention to you, I suppose, a few of the types of scams that are doing the rounds at the moment and have been reported to us in recent days. One particular injured party reported to the Gardaí, um, she had received a fraudulent text from her bank to advise her to reactivate her account. Unfortunately, she clicked on the link that they sent her and followed the instructions. She later uh, received a phone call from the bank fraud department stating that €9,000 had been taken from her account. Uh, Her bank are currently investigating this incident. Um, There was another similar incident where the injured party this time also got a text message from his bank saying that his account was disabled. He again, unfortunately, fell for it, followed the instructions, clicked on the link, and later received a call from his bank that €20,000 had been withdrawn from his savings account. His bank immediately froze his account. Again, in this case, the fraud department are investigating it and advise them to report the matter to the Gardaí. 
and it, it happens in a matter of minutes, doesn't it? When when you when you allow these, allow these guys access to your bank account by clicking on any of those links, money can be gone in literally the blink of an eye. And this is it. Once you click the link, that's the problem. You know, if there is a problem with your account, your bank will not send you a text message. So do not fall into this trap. Never click the link. Contact your local branch either by phone or call in in person and they will advise you best. And then the text messages for from the courier companies. Yes, this is no, this also is doing the rounds at the moment, Patricia. Um, text messages are being circulated allegedly from DHL Delivery Service. Again, be very vigilant and do not click on any links or give any personal information unless you're 100% sure that it is genuine. Okay, and of course the scam artists are relying on the fact that a lot of people are getting items delivered and they didn't know a courier might be calling and that's what sucks people in so you just have to be really careful. Okay, and you want to finish up Francis with it is the time of the year, children are back to school trying to keep everybody safe on our roads. Yes Patricia, I suppose look, everyone's back at this stage just to mention a little bit about safety on the roads. Summer holidays are over, we're back in school Traffic has increased immensely on the roads. Everyone is busy and rushing from A to B. This is why we are asking people to take personal responsibility to make the roads a safer place for all of us. Allow yourself extra time to reach your destination, so not to be rushing and putting yourself under pressure. Because of the current situation, I suppose more and more children are being driven to school and not availing of the bus services. Um, this, therefore, has increased traffic even further. So I would ask parents to please encourage your children, whether they're travelling by car or by bus, the importance of wearing their seatbelts at all times, short or long journeys. Respect the roads and make it a safer place for all of us. And we're also, you can already see it in the morning if you're, I'm an early riser and the mornings are already darker. The evenings are going to start drawing in and you will have children who do get the school bus who will be out on rural roads. So other drivers need to be aware of, there will be, you know, extra people walking on country roads as well. That's correct, Patricia. You know, I think if everyone takes it on board, let it be pedestrians, you know, or drivers of vehicles, just, you know, everyone slow down a little bit, you know, and it will make it safer for all of us in the long run. Yeah, and the busier mornings then with the everyone needs a bit of patience. I've got caught a few times myself down the school traffic. <laughs> you can see, you can almost sense the, the, the tension if you're looking into some of the other cars. Uh, we all just, we, we'll all get to our destination. We just need to make allowances that there will be delays on some of the mornings and some of the evenings. Yes, it'll take us all a while to yeah. adjust back to the yeah. school trip. That's it, that's it. Listen, Francis, thank you for that and we look forward to chatting to you again in the coming weeks. Thank you very much Thanks for having for me, Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Garda, Francis Murphy, who is based at Bandon uh, Garda Station. Catherine Ross Murphy listened to the programme this morning, heard me speak about the Air Community Air Ambulance and she was on uh, to remind me of her, remember her wonderful book on the old time recipes? We had it, I remember, I'm sure it was before Christmas, we got a huge reaction to it and they're kind of recipes that you, you'd remember your mother and your grandmother. They're real old traditional recipes. It was a fabulous, 
fabulous little book that Catherine produced herself and then sold it on for various charities when she was on to say that the last remaining copies of the book are now on sale and they're going towards the community air ambulance. They're available in local shops and she's particularly looking for a shop in the Clonakilty area that would be willing to take the book and these books fly off the shelves I can tell you that with the proceeds going to the community air ambulance and if you want to find a local shop selling them in your area you could go to Catherine's Old Time Recipes Facebook page and she has the full list of stockists we'd be here all day reading them out otherwise so go to Catherine's Old Time Recipes her Facebook page to if you want to purchase a copy of one of her books and well done very generous of you as always Catherine uh, you're, you're a generous, kind, kind uh, woman and the proceeds are going to a really, really good cause, the Community Air Ambulance. OK, we need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. We'll catch up with a number of comments in about apprenticeships and actually when we're speaking with Roshan Kelleher, our uh, career guidance expert, she's going to touch on apprenticeships as well. We'll do all that in the next hour. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about scams uh, when we had uh, Francis, the member of Rangarda, she called on from Bandon Garda Station in the last hour. Of course, I mean, you mentioned scams, we get calls and texts. And Mary Kilroy was on, so she just, as she was listening to us, received a text message saying that her package had been delayed by 12 hours. Oh, goodness. Mary says, I don't shop online. So she said, I knew straight away that it was a uh, scam. And Jim in the Glen says, Fisher received a call from an 085 number this morning. The woman had an American accent. She said she was from the Revenue Commission as well she and I was being charged with fraud and tax evasion Jim what have you been up to to sort it out I needed to go online and click on a link obviously I didn't but he said some people might be uh, caught out Um, that's from Jim in the Glen thanks for that uh, Jim you're a smart man you know exactly who are the scam artists just get off the phone immediately and then Morrison Glanthorn says why can't we stop all these scam artists? We're all installing anti-theft and malware onto our PCs and onto our, our phones. So it's not just up to us. Why don't the banks invest like we do in our own personal PCs? Well, I think they do. I think they do. But it's just these scam artists seem to be able to get around everything that is put in place. And unfortunately, a lot of the scam artists tap into people's vulnerability and gullible people and people who should know better and don't know better and other people who really don't know what's going on and they suck people in I mean and that's what the scam artists do but in fairness the banks and all of the government organisations are doing their very very best to try to get on top of it but what we need to do is we need to keep talking about scams we need to make as many people aware of scams as possible because if we starve these scam artists of the money then they'll eventually go away but the fact that they can send out tens of thousands of texts and all they need is a tiny proportion to get caught. They've made their money and then off they go another day and it keeps going and it keeps going. So we just have to, we have to be smarter to not fall for any of the scams. Uh, Thanks for your call, Morris. Hannah in Mallow has just been on to us to say she lost a, a purse. She either lost it in the car park in Duns in Mallow 
are actually in Dunn's itself. She's not sure. She describes it as a brown purse. It's one of those little pocket purses with zips. So if anybody was around Dunn's stores in Mallow, the car park or Dunn's itself and you picked up a brown purse, we have Hannah's contact details and she would love to get it back, please, if anybody can help her with that. Number of calls and texts in to do with apprenticeships. And to do with the comment, I think, that came in from Michael, one of our listeners, who was talking about you know, while congratulations that even third class, it isn't all about going on to third level. It isn't all about going on to universities to get your degrees. And he says we need to start encouraging more young people to get involved in trades and in apprenticeships because we know that there are job vacancies and there are companies struggling to get workers. And of course, because of the pandemic, they can't even look overseas to get workers to come in. We need to start producing our own apprenticeships apprentices in this country. Fidelma in McCroom, but then a number of people are saying the problem with apprenticeships and the problem with some of the trades, particularly while you're training, is the money side of it. It doesn't pay very well. Fidelma in McCroom says if our politicians took a cut in their own wages, if they learned to live on a minimum wage, they might have a better understanding of what life is like for people on low wages. If they did that for a period of time, they might be able to make better decisions and if so there'll be no shortage of uh, workers but they might have a better understanding of what it is like to live on lower wages and then Trevor in Carrick Tool says learning on the job he says is the best way to get to the top of your game he says he did go to college he did did a course in college but he said it was only when he went in to work that he really started to learn first hand what the job was all about uh, he said his best training came on the job not what he learned in college he said there are too many college courses today for everything we need to go back to the old fashioned way where somebody applied for a job and they were tra- trained on the job Mary and Mallow says my children did apprenticeships over the years but she feels that many industries were lost in this country and therefore there wasn't work available. Other companies then decided to bring workers in from abroad. I'm assuming do they work cheaper? Is that the reason? But anyway, to reduce the number of apprenticeships in this country, she reckons that's why so many of our young people are forced to take the plane, forced to take the boat and move overseas because there's not enough jobs here for them. Antoinette in Ahabolic says, Patricia, the reason why very little people are taking up apprenticeships nowadays is because the pay is rubbish. For example, she says, an apprenticed mechanic doing a 39-hour working week will start off at €180 per week. Wages only go up as the phases click in. Second phase, you move to €220 per, per week. A lot of the fourth phase mechanics and carpenters are a year behind. Why? Because of COVID and the pandemic. These are practical phases and they can't be done online. Most of the apprentices, for example, that started in 2017 have been affected terribly by COVID. And she's not talking about him getting sick with COVID. She's talking about what COVID did to this country. She said most are now 22 years of age. They should have been qualified in February of this year. Also, their pay stays the same if they don't do each phase. And it wasn't their fault that they weren't allowed to do the last phase. It was because of COVID. The issue has been raised at government level, but nothing has been done. Also, a lot of apprentices have dropped out. And I'm imagining because of that, electricians are also stuck in the same mess. And that's from Antoinette in Abolican. I do remember uh, earlier on in the year and last year, 
speaking with some apprentices and apprentices who contacted on the programme saying that they were caught in that catch-22 situation and it looks like it's still, I thought by now it would have been sorted out, maybe with the reopening, the full reopening on that's not until the 22nd of October, they'll have another month and a half uh, to wait for that but that's shocking if that's if that's affecting so many of our young apprentices. And then Liam says, this is when he's talk, we're talking about young people at the moment, he feels that the state the country is in at the moment. He says, as far as I'm concerned, as a country, we're banjaxed is the word that Liam is using and it's been banjaxed for a long time. You're on about apprenticeships. Well, the teenagers and young people are anything to go by in the town where I live from Oi when there's no hope of us. They walk around with hurdies, which I think is a very dangerous thing to do. Last week I saw a hurdy fly out of a boy's hand on a busy street and just missed a little girl. All he did was pick it up and walk on. Didn't even say sorry to the little girl or to her mother. I think hurdies should be banned from everywhere except the playing field. Also, Patricia, I've noticed a lot of antisocial behaviour going on. Eggs being thrown at houses, gardens being damaged, windows of houses and cars damaged. Uh, we need more Gardaí on the beat, says Liam in Formoy. And again, can I just say that isn't all young people. We have many wonderful young people. Only last week or the week before, we had a call in about some elderly lady who fell and the first people to run to her aid were a group of young teenagers and they were over straight away to make sure that she was okay and picking up her bits and pieces and, and helping her out. So it's not all young people. Yes, there's an element of antisocial behaviour. It's not just in your own town of Formoy, Liam. It unfortunately is everywhere. And you probably are right though. Is that the answer? Do we need more Gardaí on the beat? Do we need more Gardaí trained in Templemore and assigned to more stations all over the country so that we can have... Because if you've Gardaí on the beat it certainly will stop a lot or an amount of that antisocial behaviour and Mary responding to Michael's point about us not having enough apprentice and enough trying to get our young people to look at apprenticeships Mary says just in reply to Michael's point about students not taking up apprenticeship he mentioned in particular lorry drivers can I suggest that some lorry drivers do not earn enough pay I heard a debate last week on radio and it was mentioned that some weren't paid very well with the high cost of living a moderate life in this country a younger person needs to have a very decent wage. If they want to start off in life, if they want to build or buy even a moderate house, they then have to pay a mortgage. Then there's the cost of fuel to heat the house. There's childcare costs if they decide to have some children and on and on the bill goes. It's crippling young people. Maybe we need to start and make living in this country more affordable. And then the lower wage may be something that a person can live on, says Mary. And how often have we addressed on this topic the issue of a living wage? And a living wage is very different to the minimum wage. And a living wage is actually much higher than the, than the minimum wage. And a living wage is just to have a, a basic quality of, live, quality of life. I'm not talking about people going after the Bahamas on their holidays if you're on a living wage. So yeah, Mary, you're absolutely spot on. It is something that needs to be looked at. Can I stay with apprenticeships? Catherine uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Catherine. Hello, how are you? Now, you, yours ties in with, you're talking about apprenticeships, but yours ties in with the hospitality trade. You would have tra- trained as a chef with what was then known as CERT, which is gone now, isn't it? It is gone, yeah. Um, it was uh, Council Educational Regional Training. Okay. Um, that's what it stood for. And um, that was back in the 1980s. Um, I started working kind of kitchen in Donovan's Hotel. 
which were a marvellous family to work for, um, and they put us all all to our training. But what I, my point is, like, we would have lived in when we were training. We got, we got paid very little, but we learned our craft. I just think there's too much focus on now, and, you know, they're going to trade, the, the pay is so little. Like, if I was going to, I put forward into college myself, and one being a hairdresser, and she's now living in Australia, and you can never take a trade from somebody. My father was a builder. Mm. And, you know, you can, you, like, it's always work if you have a trade. And my thing is, like, we have to learn our craft. And when you're learning, like, you're not going to pay, get paid when you're going to school. But That's a we good point. To, you know, and I just feel that, you know, you know you're educating them and you're saying, OK, I'm not going to let them be my God, they went into nursing. They go into nursing and they'll do their, their placement. They're not going to get paid either. You know, and all the way up long, it's just when they have learned their craft and they're qualified. And yes, I do think we learned on the, now, um, we were based out of Killy Bakes in Donegal and we used to have to go up there training. Then we went out and we did our placement. We did our red meat training, white meat training, you know, and that's where we did. We went around and we worked our way up. I went to, you know, I mean, we, I worked with some mad shit, like stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely. the industry, though, isn't it? Is it? Oh, it is. Yeah. It's a, a mad industry, but um, like that's thirty-eight years ago. I remember in Clonakilty in the old technical school there, um, when they closed down, the new community college opened up back in the early eighties. Um, Anco was set up yeah, there, yeah. and I remember a, a lot of lads and a couple of now are in in America, and they've done very well for themselves. But I remember one of the lads making me a master of potatoes as his, as his project. Yeah. And they, they used to get a grant towards their accommodation. They didn't get paid at all. And, when you, and, and you know something, when you think about it, like I did, they, well, I had a listener who was talking about the apprenticeships for electrical apprenticeships and mechanics. And, you know, uh, they, they, when they start work, they get 180 euro and then it goes up to 220 and it goes up along with yeah. each phases. But if you're going to university or to or as you say, your four kids that you put through college, you don't get paid when you're at university. It, it, no. it's, there's going to be no, a cost no. involved for your families to put you through. Absolutely. Well, I know, because I've paid before them. <laughs> you, you know, you know um, only too well. So, do we need to go, I mean, that ANCO and CERT, do we need to go back to basics? I, do we need to I, look at that again? I do. I, I started in Fernhill when I was 13 and a half. My mother worked there. Um, there was piggeries up behind the school, up behind the hotel. And we used to, have, we used to put up their peeling spuds in peelers. And we used to, have to take the peels out and mix them with ration. And they used to be taken away by a man that fed the pigs. And I, I gave a whole summer taking buckets full of potatoes, bringing down into the cold room. You weren't left into the kitchen that time because you had that was the next level. Then you were put on mash-up. Then we were put in bedrooms. We were trained properly. And I think there's an awful lot of slack given, you know, I mean, I, I have to mention O'Donovan's Hotel and Chronicle. Brilliant they, hotel, yeah. Absolutely. They have been the nursery school for, you know, hospitality right across the board there lady. They were a marvellous family to work for. And I, I had an encounter with them there um, back in the early noughties where I, I went back to work with them. And I mean, they were just unbelievable. And I work with the HSC now and like, I remember Gina giving me a reference and she referred back to when I was with her in the 1980s, in the <laughs> early 80s. And I just think like that's a great portfolio for anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and you've, you've, you're still chefing. I am. And, and you've no regrets about that career path. None whatsoever. And, you know, I have two daughters living in Australia, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. I haven't seen them in over two and a half years. And 
one is a hairdresser and the other, they're, like they're grafters. They've seen nothing else. They've seen their father and myself and my grand, their grandparents before them work and come up along through the ranks. Like, you know, I, I just think we're losing the run of ourselves when they're saying, like, what? You can't give somebody a, a big wage and they leave in school at 18. Great, they did a living set and they learned their craft. But if you're stuck paying them big wages, where does it stop? You know, they have yeah. to learn to earn and they have to learn to learn their craft and master it. You know? And you are right when you say when you have a trade, whatever that trade is, you can go anywhere in the world mm-hmm. with that trade. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. It's just a, a point. I just think there were organisations that were there back then and people, you know, they strive to get by and and to get better. And like, yeah, we, we were last in the 80s. Where, like, I was the eldest of five. Four of them went to England. Um. I didn't go too far. <laughs> I just moved over to Dunmanway. But what I'm saying is, you know, they all had to start at the bottom. My, my sister had to start over in England and go back to college at night and work in her husband then, or her boyfriend then, her husband now. Like, he worked on the site and they put each other through college at night and they trained. You know, I, I just think we are, I, I think we need to make our children independent and, and don't be kind of giving them handouts and saying, oh, what's the pay going to be and what are you going to be on for the first year? That's our job as parents to, to you know, to put them on. They'll appreciate it at the end. I, I, I don't know I just think yeah, No no you're making you're absolutely making um, a lot of a, a lot of sense Listen thank you for that uh, Catherine because it is an issue where we're going to continue uh, talking about with our career guidance advisor who I know really pushes the apprenticeships but listen thanks a million for joining us No problem uh, Good afternoon to you Bye bye uh, Catherine there Thomas this is on truck driver shortages which also got mentioned earlier I'm a truck driver we can't get any new drivers it's a real struggle for the company that I work for so much so that our company and others are asking do we know anybody interested so that they can get them their licences etc the worry for the future uh, is the shortage of truck drivers now in Europe will lead to higher prices for food and more it will because we ha- we need the truck drivers to bring in the items and I know it was one of the reasons that a lot of shops in the UK had empty shelves and people were saying oh is this all to do with Brexit and it would some of it small part of it was to do with Brexit but the majority of it was to do with there's a massive shortage of truck drivers in the UK and that you could directly point to Brexit for that because any of the Europeans that were based and living in England as truck drivers. A lot of Eastern Europeans, for example, were truck drivers. They went home when Brexit happened, uh, but they have a big problem as well with the shortage of truck drivers. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative. The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. And let's stick with details of a fundraiser for the Air Ambulance because Michael O'Mahony from Rathmore is walking the roads in Rathmore to raise money for the community Air Ambulance. Uh, This will include walking two to three miles a day. He's going to fulfil his 60 miles goal in September and you can support him by taking part in your own area. Walk, run, cycle or stroll 60 miles in the month of September and donations can be made through Michael O'Mahony's Facebook page or contact him at 087 667 681. 
one uh, seven. Kushla Avendu are having enrolment night tomorrow night at the Nanonagle Centre in Kilavollen between 7pm and 9pm and due to COVID restrictions this is for new students only. You can contact them through the Kushla Avendu Facebook uh, page. And Drumahan Classic and Vintage Run will be held next Sunday. Entry is €10 Euro per car and registration will be in Drumahan Community Park from 11.30am. Court today on C103 with John Cus. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Back insurance is Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. High levels of grade inflation in the Leaving Cert exams were described as cruel this week by the Deputy President of the NUI in Galway and he says they need to return to normal next year and uh, the too many students on high points lost out on their choice in courses and that was due to a record high grades this year. Our career guidance expert is Roisin Kelleher who joins me. Good afternoon to you uh, Roisin. Good afternoon Patricia. Uh, it is, for some students bitter disappointment even those that got the maximum points 625 to discover they weren't successful in their top choices yeah. it, it, it is very it is very uh, 
very hard and very, very disappointing for quite a number of students, which seems ridiculous when they have achieved the highest grades they possibly can. So, of course, last Friday it was wonderful when the students had those high grades. I, I was concerned because I felt the fallout would be on Tuesday. Exactly, as, as what happened, yeah. happened. As what happened. And, of course, it is the inflated points and it is lovely to have those wonderful results. But it's a matter of supply and demand. Where are all the places? Even though the minister did put in extra places, they are not sufficient for the demand from the system, from the students looking for these places. Now, I can continue on that, and I know there has been a lot of questions about friendships and alternatives. But if we just stay with the other as well, because all topics in this area are, are, are absolutely fantastic and very important that they should be addressed. But the issue just with the CAO, if we could return to that just for a little while. First, yeah, please do. The issues with that, of course, is that they have to decide on the courses by a particular date. And that's why that is getting dominant, we'll say. Like I know many of your callers have said about apprenticeships and other forms of training, which of course I will talk about. But that is the immediate thing, we could say unfairly or or anything else, but that is what is demanding the attention at this time. And also because the vast majority of students have applied into the higher education. Again, it's a reflection on them not looking at other alternatives earlier in the year. But the, it, it just simply is a fact. If in 2019 there were 207 students that got 625 points and there was 1,342 got those wonderful points this year. And we can go right through down the statistics. And these statistics are there for anybody to see on the CAO website. It makes very interesting reading. And so for anyone to say, how does this happen? Just look at the statistics and mm-hmm. you will see why. Because the points have gone up. The places haven't gone up to match that demand. And I know various people in various colleges will say, it's not a matter of extra places. Where are they going to get allocated on the job afterwards? You see, they will say... That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, there's no point qualifying loads of doctors or dentists or lawyers or barristers if there isn't places for them to work. Yes, and many will argue, why don't they make more places? That can also be an argument. But currently, they will say they're capped by that. If we have 24 or 30 places on our course, that's because we know we have that number of places that we can allocate those students to their place of employment or, or placement that is a vital part of their training. So that's one issue with regard to that. And that is something, no matter what to do with the points, that has got to be addressed in some manner or means. But if we go back a little bit further, and Mr. Harris is aware of this, where does this go wrong, maybe? If you look at the CAO forum in February, what are the choices the students have at that point? higher education. Where is there a mention of an apprenticeship then? Or another training? Or an ETB, the post or courses? They're not mentioned. There's no reference. No, we hear reference to us. No, of course, naturally, they have been referred to in the past for yourselves here on the radio programme that have allowed me to give a little input that I do earlier in the year, asking them to look at these other types of courses, not because they're second chance or anything else, but they're equally important. 
Yeah, and, there, and there's good career way. choices there. But but it, does that go back to schools? Does that go back to it the goes, career guidance teachers at schools? Well, it can go back. You can take it back to anywhere you like. You can take it back to the schools or the guidance. You can take it back to the parents. You can take it back to the way the form is constructed. Mm. Now, the minister is aware of this. And this was an issue that was raised when there was a, a wonderful Zoom session during the summer there, actually, with local politicians, and he arranged to have the minister hear the issues associated with education, including the apprenticeships. And many of the comments that those listeners have put into there in the last half an hour or longer this morning, he got all those comments. So let them be assured he knows very well the issues that are associated with apprenticeships. It was only this week that I was working with a young person who wanted to become a motor mechanic. And he was working in a garage. But they hadn't him registered. And they hadn't him doing the motor mechanic type jobs. And his mother called me and said, and in her own words, he was being treated, quote, as a skivvy. Now, we, everybody, have their own way of describing work as well. And indeed, Catherine there earlier said, or Michelle, about the apprenticeships. And that when they're starting off, they can't expect high pay. And of course they can't. So it starts, but the the issue is that if you're in an apprenticeship training, you do get some type of pay. Mm. Now, the conditions of work can be another issue, of course. And they most certainly should have correct conditions of work, regardless of wherever they are. But regarding the issue of the pay, the, the young persons or the persons that are apprenticeships should realise, of course, they are a trainee. They're not a fully qualified person. So again, they have to accept if that is the regulation on the pay. Well, then that is the pay. But when they're qualified in the four years or whatever length of time it takes, which should be four years, and again, and Minister Hurst heard that during the summer, how is it the summer apprenticeships are going on for seven years? Now, this, this is the reason why it can be of putting, unfortunately, for some people. And I say unfortunately, because apprenticeships is an absolutely fine way of training. I have the highest regard for apprenticeships, either the craft apprenticeships or the professional ones, the newer ones that they have nowadays, or the national ones. Now, on the apprenticeship.ie website, there are, would you believe, 63 apprenticeships outlined. There are 63 apprenticeships. There's 13 more to come very shortly. But how does a person get into these apprenticeships? Look at the website, all the W's, dot apprenticeship.ie, and you will see the list. Now, you have to follow it on down to see the downloads to get the list of them. But they're all outlined there. And as Catherine, our chef, uh, put it so eloquently, uh, you could go anywhere in the world with with a trade when you're qualified. Absolutely. But there can be issues. Now, we know that there can be issues. You might say they're isolated or you might say they're widespread with regard to conditions and the pay. Well, the pay is the one that is set up at the day, but but the conditions. But nevertheless, we'll say the apprenticeship is there. Then the issue for the young person will be who's going to sponsor them? Who's going to take them on? Like the lady said, she was taken on by the hotel. It's another one's hotel. Yes, they have to be taken on by somebody. So somebody, sometimes it can be difficult for persons to know who will take them on. But in fairness, on the apprenticeship website, there are a list, there's a list of employers who have advertised and who are looking 
for apprenticeship. Okay. So I think some people maybe mightn't even be aware of that. Okay, and post-leaving cert courses um, for people who, who didn't get what they wanted to get, post-leaving yes. cert courses, another option. They, and included in the post-leaving cert courses. And I double-checked before I came on this morning. There's a pre-apprenticeship course, which if the persons will say, well, I'm finding it very hard to get a, a sponsor, or if a person were to say, well, I'm not too sure that I want to do this, well, then fine. Go on to the pre-apprenticeship course and, and test it out. There are currently vacancies, vacancies in the construction and the mechanical engineering apprenticeships here at local level in Cork on pre-apprenticeship courses. OK. All and right. And for those, for those who got these amazing uh, points uh, last week and have been, are feeling very down, very upset... Yes. Uh, because they didn't get their first or their second choice. I mean, I heard yes. of one girl who got 625 points. She yep. didn't get any of her top three choices. But yes. then I heard of another young guy who is accepting law because he doesn't want to waste the points. It was his third choice. And he's just accepting it because he doesn't want to waste the points. And I'm thinking, that doesn't make any sense if that's not no. something he wants to do. No, it doesn't. So the, the offers that they have been given, of course, as I've always said, it has to be researched. And look exactly what are they going to be studying. If a person is just taking something for the sake of it, first of all, it's wrong. And he may find in uh, another year that he'll go on to another programme for which he'll have to pay the full fee. And he'll have wasted a year. And it is taking a place yeah. on someone else. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good so point. they have the offers at level eight and level seven, six. They really must research them very thoroughly. They may have put down some courses there, maybe a little bit carelessly earlier in the year, but that just goes to show how important it is to look at all 10 choices on level 8 honours degree or on the level 6 and 7. Now, the offers that many have at the moment would be two. They could only take one. But, of course, when, they, when that all returns back into the system, then on the second round, which will be issued on the 20th of September, there could be quite a number of choices will come up there. So I would ask those students who are upset just if they could hold on. I know it's asking a lot, perhaps, but if they could hold on and hope that they might be fortunate enough to get an offer on the second round or the third round or later on. Of course, for some people, that's, that's not what they want because they'd like to know what they're doing now. And there's issues of accommodation, there's issues of transport, there's, issues, there's all the different issues associated with taking up a place or not. But another one that's extremely important, Patricia, and they must look at, in my view, are the vacant places. There are absolutely wonderful opportunities on the vacant places right now. And they can do courses at level 8 and courses at level 7, 6. So some of the courses at level 8, it is true, are the private independent colleges. Yes, there are extra fees associated with that. But the fees aren't as high sometimes as a person might consider. So that's one issue. But look at those vacant places. There are courses, for instance, Pharmacy, you said the law, there's very many people who are upset because they haven't got their law degree programs. We're on the level six and seven in Waterford, WIT. There is a course there that law, legal studies, that can lead on on progression. 
from yeah. that we've, level. We, we've always said that over the years. There are other ways. There There's are this other indirect ways. Route. Um, Marie is making an interesting point. Does Roisin think that the points will settle down next year when we get back to a more traditional leaving cert? Her son is particularly worried. He's sitting his leaving yeah. cert next year. The course that he would like to do went up by 80 points this, yeah. uh, this year. He knows he hasn't a hope of attaining that level of points next year. And I wish I could answer that question, but unfortunately I can't. And that very question was put to the minister. And she was not able to answer the question because, well, she didn't answer it because we just don't know what's going to happen about the leaving cert or how it's going to be graded, whether it will be a completely written exam or, again, whether there will be assessments involved. So, unfortunately, I do not know. I don't know. I just don't know. Even even if it does return to a written uh, papers next year, the points that the students have been awarded this year they're going to hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're I went, going to hold. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, is, is another listener is making the same point. What about the ones that, that defer is going to make very unfair on and the leaving class class next year? With reference to one of the vacant places as well, pharmaceutical technician. Now, it happens to be in Letterkenny. There's nothing wrong with Letterkenny, <laughs> but it's a fair distance from here yeah. in West Cork to Letterkenny. But there happens to be a vacancy there and persons can progress from that into pharmacy okay. with a special agreement that they have with Ulster University. So would they please look at the vacant places? Now, it's not a matter of taking them just because the thing is there, like the young person who happens to be offered law and it's there and so I will take it. It's not like that. You only take it if that's if this is what you, you. If this is what you want to do. Okay. I know you've got a lot more information available on your website at roisincallagher.ie. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Roisin. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. You're very welcome. Good morning to everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. Lines open. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Some of your thoughts coming in, particularly around apprenticeships. Hi Patricia, we in Ireland also need to get more young people into truck driving. I'm 25 myself. I'm driving Arctic's a year now and the right company will pay good money and it isn't long hours. We've a massive shortage of drivers. And by the way, it costs me from start to finish from rigid to Arctic licence €3,200. It was money well uh, spent. Safe driving to you. Thank you for that. Catherine, our chef, 100% correct. We must go back to basics. Young people today are not being asked to do a stroke at home, says Margaret. And that's the problem. Then when they go out to work, they want cushy numbers with lots of pay. Someone else says building contractors do not supply tools anymore. Every carpenter nowadays must have their own tools and their own van. This has to come out of your wages and if you break down or if you break anything you have to fix it and replace it yourself and you've got to do that all out of your own uh, wages. When Listen to this text. When I was 25 I worked hard in a factory. The fourth year students, it would have been just about the it wasn't called TY at the time but that group of students, they were given a tour of the factory. They came into the section where I was working and the teacher turned around to the students and says this is where you'll end up if you don't work hard in school. How rude. Goodness. Goodness me. Uh, Hi uh, Patricia. I'm just wondering 
do you have to do your leaving cert in order to do an apprenticeship or can you start your apprenticeship after a junior cert like you did years ago? I, I, I don't know and I suppose it'll vary from apprenticeship to apprenticeship. What I would suggest and what Roisin Kelleher always tells us on apprenticeship, there's a brilliant website apprenticeship.ie so if you go on to that you certainly will be able to get all of the information there and all of the different apprenticeships and what you actually need uh, for it. And someone else says, Patricia please, to that student who's deciding to take law because he doesn't want to waste his points even though it wasn't his uh, top choice. Please, please, please tell that young student not to go to college just for the sake of it. Tell him to wait until he gets a course that he does want to do because believe me, it simply won't work out. And that's the very same advice that Roisin gave as well. And It's frustrating because it will take the course from somebody else who genuinely wants it and then also, and we know we've always had a problem with people not researching the college courses properly and then they go in and they do the first year it's a waste they have to redo it redo another year and there's a cost implication to it uh, as well take a listen to this good morning i'm so slow at texting and just sending you a message i'd really like to um i suppose highlight or give a shout out to a group of young people from ucc who've just climbed um the atlas mountains the highest mountains in africa for meningitis ireland and raised an outstanding amount of money. They reached the summit yesterday under really kind of hard conditions of heat. Dehydration, I suppose, dodgy stomachs and then just the altitude sickness. But as I said, they raised between 13 of them. Um, They raised, I think, 25,000 euros for meningitis Ireland. And they did that same climb with Everest two years ago. So I suppose the reason I'm ringing is my daughter, Lainey Sands, is one of the leaders. She's a local girl here from Whitechurch um, and all local Cork people. And, you know, it would be lovely to give them a shout out. Our young people are amazing and they've had a really hard time the last two years. So it's wonderful for those young people to reach the summit yesterday and make Cork proud. They all wore their Cork jerseys. Um, My name is Susan. I'm her mammy, her proud mammy. So maybe if you get this, you might give a shout out. Isn't that great? And thank you, Susan, for sending it on. And well done to Leany Sands from Whitechurch and all of those other young uh, people. That And for Meningitis uh, Trust, what an organisation. Congratulations to each and every one of them. And we do have amazing young people that we can be very, very proud of. All of them students at UCC. Okay, that's what we wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.